It ain't necessarily so Oh, it ain't necessarily It ain't necessarily so Two men with hammers took away my childhood views today. We chatted as they fenced me in. Yarns of tennis across low fences, shared barbecues, pet escapees, joy and pain, shared memories of childhood. The suburb where I live. It's all going, mate, the young one laughed, disappearing behind a ton of calabond and palings. The jokes were short, the view went fast, their friendly faces and high-vis vests went too behind the rapidly advancing wall. Morning jokes, lunchtime farewells and then the sound of hammers on the other side drifting across the unseen afternoon behind the fence. My isolation real now, permanent and present. Their work, my work, is different I knock on a hundred doors each weekend, encouraging people to open up and share the details of their life so banks, car manufacturers and insurance agents can better stuff their wares through the crack I open on their behalf. My friendly face and pleasant voice wedging open doors closed against the very depredations I visit on them. My knuckles know statistics show it is written across my door-knocking heart. High fences breed fearful people. We fear what we do not know. We do not know what we cannot see. We are in the dark about the family who rests their head two metres from where I rest mine, where you rest yours. Two men with hammers took away the views of my childhood day. Two men with hammers, a ton of colour bond and palings took that away. They have their job. I have mine. So that was a little poem that I wrote the day that two men did come and build a big fence across a neighbour's backyard uh, where I lived in Annerley at the time. There was, um, as is a lot of the case in Brisbane suburbs where houses were built in the 50s and 60s, there were those, you know, one metre high wire fences and people did play tennis across the fence and pass cakes and garden produce across the fence and I was very sad to see them disappear. Back when neighbours actually spoke to each other. Mm, Well my uh, premise is that the low fence encourages such communication. However there is a historical precedent for high fences. And what might that be? So I had the privilege of going to Alain Batar in Mongolia in 2014 and in Alain because of climate change, a lot of the Gur people, uh, so the guys that live in tents, that normally have herds out in the wild, they all come to the city. And uh, in Alambata, the most expensive bit is in the valley because that's the warmest. And the, the slums are up in the hills because it's cold up there. And so up in the slums, there are just thousands of, you know, two metre high plus wooden walls everywhere fences everywhere like a maze unregulated and so is that to protect them from the bitter winds of upper mongolia in herder culture if you can see someone else's belongings then you have to share them so if someone can see your stuff you 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 have a right to give them to them basically and that works when everyone's spread out but obviously it doesn't work in a built-up urban environment so to get around that they build these massively high fences around these teeny tiny tents that everyone lives in. Mm. 
Well, it's interesting because I shared that poem with people in the street. I printed it up with before and after photos and letterboxed the street and I included in my letterboxing the uh, place where the builders were building the fence. I put one in the toilet, one in the uh, <laughs> the lunchroom and handed one to one of the fellows who was, you know, out at the skip chucking out bits and pieces. And about an hour later, the foreman um, came banging on my door saying, do you know anything about this? And waving the um, pamphleted poem at me. I said, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. And he sort of, you know, gave me a piece of his mind and then stomped off. And I thought, well, I'm not going to leave that there. I've got that, what disorder did you Oppositional quote? defiance disorder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> if it's, it's something you, there's, you can poke with a stick, I know by now that Jeff's going to poke it. Yeah, so I wandered down <laughs> in pursuit of the angry foreman and um, uh, sort of confronted them all and explained. Recited your poetry to them? No, no they'd, they'd had the poem. I didn't think they needed it again. <laughs> again. But I just sort of wanted to chat and justify my love of low fences and... The angry foreman said, um, I've been putting up fences for 15 years and no one's ever complained. I don't know what's wrong with you. Haven't you heard of a thing called privacy? And I said, well, you know, haven't you heard of a thing called community? Anyway, one of the young fellows said, um, oh, very fancy piece of writing, mate. You know, if you want to write a book, why don't you, why don't you go and write Harry Potter or something? So I was pleased to be able to put a short section of that poem in the book Your Life, Your Planet tip number 97 is called Don't Fence Me In and it starts with uh, part of my Ode to Low Fences Yeah I, I take the point and I love that you shared some poetry with some builders but I, I'm, I love not knowing my neighbours Mm. And maybe it's a, a few people have said thing. that to me that, you know, I've got an unnatural propensity to gregariousness. Oh, you do? I feel like I'm gregarious. When I'm at home, though, I want to be left alone. And also, my downstairs neighbours are right assholes. So, you know, as, as much fences as possible. Well, if you're listening downstairs, neighbour, we'd like you to know you are a right asshole. Oh, he, he knows. He knows that I know. Here on Fashion by Dad, you are hearing the voices of Jeff Ebbs and Claire Tracy Art. Now, we were just talking about um, high fences and community, and uh, our lis wonderful listener, Bones, rang to say that he's got a two... Well, he's got a two-metre fence, but he's got 2.4-metre fence poles with points on top. And he said, you know, it's all very well to talk about community, but what about privacy and security? So I think that's where you were coming from, Claire Tracy Art, with your downstairs neighbour being a rat bag. You know, just anti-socialness as well. Well, uh, Bones is a sociable character, loves community. He said um, living in Woodridge for 15 years and losing all his shit gave him a big uh, passion for security. That's the two made a fence, which is in a bright electric blue and black, so you can see it for kilometres away, so you know where he is. But in the interests of community, he's got a heart-shaped hole in his front gate so you can stick your head through and call out to him. And he's got a keyhole-shaped hole in the back fence so you can stick your head through and call out to him. Oh, that's lovely. 
I'd be a bit worried about sticking my head through a bright blue and black fence that, you know, there might be a large axe on the other side ready to swing down and chop me head off. Well, it reminds me of that, that short film where there's, there's someone walking along the street and there's, they come along and they see a hole in the fence, a tiny hole. And from behind the fence, they hear this sound. 11, 11, 11, 11. And so he goes up and he looks through the hole and someone pokes him in the eye. And then he hears this chanting, 12, 12, 12, 12. <laughs> that is terrible. On Fashion My Dad, on the Zeds, you're listening to me, Jeff Ebbs, with Claire Tracy Art, who just told us a very funny story uh, where the punchline was 12, 12, 12. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. It was about being poked in the eye, though. It was about being poked in the eye. <laughs> which um, reminds me of a theory that I've held for a long time, which I test regularly, but um, I've found no one else who actually even agrees with me that this might be true. So I'm going to share it with you. All right. My theory is that we all have what I call a weak eye and a strong eye. And the uh, another way to think about it is, rather than being weak or strong, that we have one outward-looking eye and one inward-looking eye. Yeah, we learnt that in gymnastics. Oh, did you? It's true. It's like a medical thing. Is it? Really? Yeah, you have a dominant eye. like Just like if you're left-handed or right-handed. Okay. And so how does gymnastics... Um... Well, for instance, I'm right-handed but I do left-handed cartwheels because my left eye is dominant. That's and interesting. I swing a cricket bat left-handed and an axe left-handed. There you go. Must be a creative people thing. But interestingly, last night, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm late with some of my professional duties is that I was playing with my cat and he was hiding behind a mirror and I stuck my head round and went, what are you doing? And guess what happened? He poked you in the eye. Poked me in the bloody eye. <laughs> no wonder you're so thinking about jokes about I'm going to scratch under my eye. Good heavens above. It wasn't a poke, it was a punch. He's a big cat. Okay, so in gymnastics, the dominant eye is the eye you should lead with mm. in terms so of... So I stuck my left eye round the mirror to get punched in the eye by my cat. And is your left eye or your right eye your dominant eye? My left eye is my dominant eye. Right. And so my theory is that the dominant eye is used to look at the world, to peer behind the mirror at the cat. And the not dominant eye is used to receive information, absorb it and process it. And when you are looking at people and talking at people, you should look them in one eye at the time until you work out the which the dominant eye is. And if you want to have an empathic relationship with them, you look at their dominant eye because that makes them feel comfortable. And if you want to dominate them, you look at the weak eye and you sort of drill into it because that's their empathic eye and they will feel you, you know, powering into their brain. Or if you are a crazy academic sociopath, you stare at the point between someone's eyebrows, just above their eyes. And uh, how do you think that makes them feel? I was warned that an academic would do this. So I went into a meeting prepared and they did it. So I just stared back at their eyebrow. I guess, what's your sense Third 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 eye. eye? Maybe Mm. she was looking at my third eye. Maybe she can see more than I can see. Mm. Maybe it's a sort of variation on my theory about the dominant eye and weak eye and well, I stared back using at that her psychologically. Third eye. And then we had a grand old time. I thought she was great and I wasn't didn't feel intimidated at all. 
And one of the interesting things that I have not been able to te- detect is that wh- how do you know which of your eyes someone is looking at? Because all you can sense is that they are looking at you. No, I can tell. You can tell which eye I'm looking mm-hmm. at? Yep. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that's going to make great radio, but at some point we'll have to do <laughs> an experiment on that. <laughs> so, you dear listener, we are speaking into your dominant ear right now, which is why you're having such a good time listening to us here on Fashion by Dad.